Hello and welcome to Renegade Mama. I am your host, Natalie Rees. Today on the show, I speak with the unconventional parent, Adele Allen. We talk about her three free births and how they don't always have to be perfect or pretty, siblings at birth, extended breastfeeding, self-weaning, unschooling, and vaccinations. Adele is bright, knowledgeable, honest, and like all my guests, has so much integrity. Enjoy. Welcome, Adele. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. So, Adele, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, you and your family, and what you do. Yeah, um, we have three children, ranging from Kai, who's 20 months old now, um, all the way up to Yuli, who is going to turn 10 this year. Wow. <laughs> um, and we also have animals. We have chickens, rescue hens, um, a rescue dog, and a very busy life, mostly in nature, really. We um, have a beautiful garden and allotment. We like to spend a lot of time at the beach. We unschool the kids, so there's no, no strict curriculum, no formal learning, unless they want it, of course. And uh, we pretty much stay out of the system as best as possible, so not in schools, but we also don't sign the kids up to doctors. Um, they don't have regular GP visits, so we look after our own healthcare. And we just try to, um, we work towards self-sustainability, we're not quite there yet. Um, but the, the ultimate dream is living off grid one day. But obviously, it's, it's step by step to that dream. You can't just leap there. Um, so at the moment, we're just playing, toying around with growing our own food and um, and just really building our independence, uh, so that hopefully our children can um, create a, a different kind of life for themselves to, to what is mainstream right now. Because I can look around at people and just see that they're not happy. They're not happy being confined to all these rules and restraints. Um, so we as a family, we don't, we don't impose rules on our, our children. We have mutual cooperation, um, but we don't um, dogmatically dictate what they, the children have to do. So they kind of pick their own bedtimes. When they're tired, they go to sleep. When they're hungry, they eat. They don't have to eat because it's a set meal time. Um, and we're just kind of quite organic and, and free flow with, with our days. Um, and it, it works well for us. So that's, that's how we roll on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what I'm interested to know is uh, how did you grow up and how did you get to where you are at today? Like, did you grow up like this yourself or was it opposite and this is kind of a reaction to that? Or, yeah, I'd be interested to know. Um, I wouldn't say it was completely opposite. There was, I grew up going to school for sure. Um, I myself was vaccinated, although back then it was obviously a very different vaccine schedule to what it is now. Um, on the surface of it, it was a, a very conventional lifestyle. Um, but I, I, I did have, my dad died when I was younger, about five years old. And my mum raised me and she was quite connected to nature. So I did have all of that, fortunately, the, the connection to going out into the woods and picking blackberries and just really, you know, being lots of, lots of free play and, and kind of uh, access to that, that sense of freedom. Um, so I'd, I'd say it's somewhere middle ground. Um, but when you compare it, I guess, to how I'm raising my kids now, it looks quite different. And, and Matt, my other half, he... Similar, similar story to him, although I would say um, with his mum, she was a little bit more 
uh, what's the word phrase I'm looking for? She gave a little bit more freedom and was, you know, the, the kids were allowed to just roam a little bit more maybe than perhaps um, me and my brothers were. Um, but what, what led me onto this path, I guess, was just um, my health just not quite feeling right, you know, going through to teenagehood and I always had the chronic fatigue and, and just felt that something was off key with, with the way I felt all the time. I didn't enjoy school, really. I was fine academically at it, but um, I didn't feel I could express my creativity and I was bored a lot. And so this, this boredom mixed in with the, the chronic fatigue in my body set me on a path to, to go and explore and go traveling, go and explore different cultures. And, and through doing that, I guess it opened up my eyes to the fact that there's so many possibilities in the world and you don't have to be constrained to this one way of life. And I also got on to trying um, a bit of weight gain at the time because I was on the pill. And so I got on to trying coconut oil just as a supplement. And I think that's the first thing that really opened up my eyes. It just it just shed all this excess weight, uh, I guess, helped release the toxicity from my body, pushed it out. And I was just astounded. I thought I just, you know, eating a bit of oil from a coconut can have this effect on the human body. What else am I missing? What else can I do to feel great and, and feel energized? And then it was just like a roll on effect from there. And it got me looking into the drugs we've become reliant on, you know, painkillers and, and vaccines. And so even before having children, um, I started to research into this stuff and to talk to people and go, hang on a minute, you know, the conventional way of doing this, this parenthood thing is perhaps, perhaps not the best way for, for our health and well-being. And so I was definitely before I got pregnant with Yuli, um, starting to look into all this stuff. And then bang, we, we went to India and got married after doing a yoga retreat um, and suddenly found out I was pregnant. Um, here we go oh and we'd already booked ironically to come traveling to Australia and so um, at that point we'd already decided we're gonna I had a yoga a kids yoga franchise and we'd already decided we're gonna throw that in and, and you know say goodbye to that and go off to Australia and just go traveling and see where it takes us um, and so as we were had bought the plane tickets and were off to go um, had this news <laughs> I was pregnant um, and at that point, I guess I could have decided, let's just stay, let's do the safety net thing, let's go and build this security that everyone says you need, or let's go, let's, let's throw everything to the wind. And, and for me, my instinct just said, no, you're on a different path to everyone else. You cannot, you cannot um, go back now. You've got to keep pushing forward and go into the unknown. And then through going out into Australia, I came across quite a few women that had free birthed because um, I was always considering home birthing. For me, a hospital is just the worst place to go and give birth with lots of bright lights and sick people. Um, so I was always considering home birthing, but then meet, meeting people that had actually free birthed took it to the next level for me. Actually, you don't need any intervention, not from any medical professionals present. Or Then it led me on to also looking at lotus birthing, which was the non-cutting non of the cord. And so for me, it just was a roll on effect of, of one thing to the next and, and trusting my gut about it all. Um, Cause I had no one to draw upon in my world that I knew that had done all of this. And um, obviously family and friends think you're nuts <laughs> for going down this road. So they go, no, you can't do that. You've got to, you've got to at least have a midwife and this and that. 
And I'm like, do you know what? If I meet someone who I resonate with and trust, I'll have that person there. But if I don't, I'd rather just be by myself and, and feel safe um, because that baby's going to be born whatever way you look at it, regardless of who's present. So you might as well try and create the, the feeling, the best feeling of, of serenity and, and calm that you can for that to happen rather than add on the stress of all these people trying to monitor you and tell you what to do and intervene and interfere. Um, and so that's how we progressed on onto the path of having children. And, and from there on, it was just, okay, no birth interventions, then I don't want the, the health screening tests and the vaccines and everything after. In fact, I don't even want a health visitor because I know their, their primary thing is to follow the protocol and push these things onto you. And so we just, yeah, we gradually just started stepping completely out of the system. And um, yeah, it was quite a step into the unknown, quite intense. Um, but it, it never once, I never once sat there and, and thought, this is wrong, I need to go back to the old way. Um, it was just taking that, the blue pill, the red pill, can't remember from the matrix. The, once we took in the pill, we, we couldn't go back. It was just, it made sense, it felt right. And, and it worked. And, and our first child, Yuli, was very highly sensitive. So he, um, I believe if we'd have vaccinated him and he'd had a, a really traumatic birth, I think I don't think he would have made it necessarily because he, he had such a, a, a temperamental health system anyway. Didn't sleep, like for many years, still finds it tough to sleep now. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I think it was most necessary for him, but also applicable to, to all our children and every child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So tell me about the birth of Yuli. Were you back in the UK by the time you gave birth? Oh, my God. Let me tell you, this is not a story of serene um, birthing in palm trees and with lovely people singing around you and, and beautiful candles and... No, this was in emergency accommodation in Brighton, which is about the most confined you can get. A little tiny, dark and dingy one-bed flat that later I find, found out had quite bad mould in it. Um, so it was, it was not the picture of beautiful free birth um, in the bathtub. So we had to keep filling it up every hour or two because the water would go cold. We didn't have lo a lovely birth pool where you could regulate the heat and none of that <laughs> um so yeah it was we were just i guess we matt had um had researched youtube a bit beforehand because he was my birth partner if you like so um he wanted to, to know what to expect um and it was it was kind of a grueling long birth as, as i think most first births are um how many hours was it god it went from what was it Ooh, two or four in the afternoon to about three the next morning um which isn't isn't the longest one you could have but when you're in the unknown <laughs> and it's um it, it wasn't an easy birth like he definitely didn't want to come into the world you know it was um that sense <laughs> that was like he kept going back up and back down and back up and back down and i didn't know didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to freak out so I was like no it's fine it's all doing fine and so I think that lack of um, medical uh, professional there telling you how far you're dilated how far it's progressing or if it's not or whether they recommend this or that I think actually helped me get through it because if I'd have thought if I'd have known what what was happening from his viewpoint and he'd have been telling me every detail 
I think it, it just it would have made the whole situation worse for me because um, I wouldn't have known the process anyway being my first birth and I, I think I would have been more inclined to go we need someone here let's call someone whereas because I just tuned into my own body and just took Matt's guidance talking me through the breathing and everything um, and and just let him calm me down I think it helped the whole process along um, so yeah it's not not the most kind of tranquil serene births but for me really empowering knowing that under the most the toughest of circumstances you can still do it you know you don't have to to be in this idyllic location with this idyllic setup with all these amazing supporting people although that would be nice um but you can still do it all by yourself you know absolutely you know, a lot of women do do by accident don't they they end up having births in by the roadway and, and things like that and stuck in lifts so it doesn't have to be this this serene image we project <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot around home birth, especially that you need X, Y, or Z. Uh, I was saying this the other day to somebody where when I gave birth, to, I had a planned home birth that was a transfer with my first, with a midwife. And I just had it in my head that I had to have a birth pool. This is just what happens in a home birth. This is all the videos that I've been, you know, been, I've seen and, um, yeah, it's so funny that even for something like a home birth, we can be so fixed in our idea of what it should look like. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, and I obviously, it was very different with my second birth um, because I think with that first birth, I wasn't tuned into my own power and I was always looking outside of myself for what I needed. So it might be the birth pool that I needed and the hot water. I needed the reassurance of the midwife. I needed X, Y, or Z. Um, and yeah, it's so funny looking back on it now to kind of see that. Cause I be, obviously I didn't realize it at the time. <clears throat> no, no. I think it is just, isn't it? Fear of the unknown. Um, you are always looking for, for outside validation when, when you don't really know what you're doing cause you're going blind. Um, but the ironic thing is you do know a hundred percent what you're doing in your body intuitively, but we feel like we don't know what we're doing because we've been told that we don't know what we're doing. No, that's it. We have, we've been, we've been taught kind of conditioned by our culture to look outside of ourselves and, and not trust that we're capable anymore. Um, and, and that goes beyond birthing and, and looking after our own health to, raising our own children um, we've been told that we need this institution to help us do this and they have to be meeting this target and, and it's just not you know <laughs> we're sovereign beings and I think you know we need to, to take back our power knowing that we know what's best for ourselves and our family and I just I don't think we should be letting the government override that and and you know especially now in our time of the the corona outbreak um, we're being encouraged more and more to, to distrust ourselves and our bodies. And I think at this time it's more important than ever to take back our power and say, no, I can build my immunity naturally. And, you know, I, I can raise and educate my child without, without the institution to help me. This is possible. It's, it's very possible. Many people are doing it all over the world. And I've just got to switch off the, the noise of fear and delve into it and, and just experience it. And learn and grow together because, you know, you're going to be learning and growing alongside your child. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so after the birth of Yuli, you breastfed. Did you have any trouble breastfeeding? Um, yeah, I think 
once it took me a few days to get going properly um uh, but for me because i kept the placenta attached with the lotus birth mm -hmm. i kind of felt like okay i know that he's got his full blood transfusion and all the stem cells and so and i, I knew from um from a basis of experience backtracking a little bit sorry yep. i actually got pregnant with you fasting um and it was on the time of my cycle where i normally wouldn't have got pregnant which is why it came as a shock to us and so i knew um how strong the body is dealing um functioning without food and water um so for me even though obviously a baby needs nourishment it, it wasn't a panic seeing him go a day or two without much going into his system i just knew that his body had had, had the, the trauma of birth and needed the time to adjust to the world and yeah he was looking fine to me you know that the lips were hydrated and and everything about him looked very peaceful all his vitals were okay so i didn't panic about the rest of the milk not coming through right away i just was like i'm gonna step back i'm not gonna give him formula i don't believe in formula i think i might have attempted to give him a tiny bit of coconut water at one point just because that outside noise again um but then i was like no i don't need to do this back up and then yeah like i think on the, the second day then the, the milk did come through and it was fine and it was painful at first um the breastfeeding and it took probably a week or two to really get comfortable with it but i guess it was just my pure grit and determination that i will not go onto formula milk or any substitute um that i just persevered and you know nearly 10 years later i'm still breastfeeding now so <laughs> it's um it's worked out fine i know other women have, have trouble and i think a lot of that again it is is psychosomatic it's um being told having all that noise from the health consultants that you're not producing enough milk and it's not working for you and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so i guess the difference between me and other women is i just chose to tune out all of that noise i didn't invite any of it in i just put a block there and said i'm not listening to you i'm going to listen just to me and my body and my baby and it worked out well for us yeah same i just didn't invite anyone in i mean i always think it's interesting i had no trouble breastfeeding both times and i just think it's cr i mean look i had engorgement and sore boobs and blah 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 all that kind of stuff but <laughs> i just think it's phenomenal the amount of people that can't inverted commas breastfeed and i'm not judging anybody for that because i understand how people get there because of, you know, um, yeah, a lot of people not uh, trusting in that mother herself. And so then she doesn't trust in herself. But yeah, I just think it's phenomenal. It's like so many women struggle with breastfeeding and what can we do to help these mothers so they don't have to struggle and it is easy for them because it shouldn't have to be hard, you know? No. Absolutely. I think that the best thing we can do as, as breastfeeding mothers is do it unashamedly in, in public. I think there's so much of this. We, we first came about in the media back in 2016 um, um, through showing Yuli breastfeeding at I think, five years old. And, and everyone's like, you can't post that. We'll grow up and he'll be so angry. Um, and the kind of people that make those comments are the kind of people that were never breastfed and they don't actually know that the children that grow up actually like remember it fondly. They don't, they're not embarrassed by it. Um, but for me, you need to 
and, and not with a delicate cover over you, you know, just have your boob out and be doing it because it's totally natural. The boobs were not designed as a sexual object. They were designed as a tool to feed babies. And so we can do it out in public. And even when people are criticizing us too, continue to do it and don't be ashamed. I mean, I heard during this, this Corona outbreak that some woman in our old local park was actually moved along, told that she wasn't allowed to be sitting there on the bench, breastfeeding her tiny baby because she should have done it before she came out. And now she's going to have to hurry it up, get up or have a fine. Wow. <laughs> I just would not have sat there and take, took, taken that. I would have, um, wow, I would have made such a fuss if that had happened to me. People are just sitting there and acquiescing to this, these people, telling them what to do. Um, and it's just, it's something to be proud of. And, and this is 100% natural. It's definitely an essential activity. Yeah, how ironic that, that, how ironic that her breastfeeding wasn't seen as essential. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Yeah, it, it's mad, isn't it? Absolutely mad. So bizarre. Um Okay, yeah, yeah, I totally, yeah, I can't believe that would happen. But I, I think maybe what is interesting is I feel, and speaking to friends in the UK, Australia is a little more open than England about breastfeeding. Maybe not a whole heap, but a little more. Yeah, um, oh, it's hard. For traveling there, I wasn't an actual parent as I traveled there, so it would be hard for me to make a, a comment on that. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's the size of the country, the fact people are more spread out. I'm, I'm not sure. Because um, it's, it's like anything, when you confine people more in a smaller space, um, they tend to get on each other's nerves a bit more, I guess. And, true, and true. I know for sure from, yeah, from living in a small flat where everyone's hearing each other's noise and in each other's face now being in a house um how different people react to your everyday behaviors um so you know if when i was in living in a flat of a communal garden if i've been breastfeeding in the, the communal garden there's a few funny stairs um whereas when i'm in my own garden if even if someone's overlooking from their garden because it's seen as your big space and you're more spread out um they're less less offended i don't know what the exact reason is i just know that um the more you can find human beings in a, in a smaller space, the definitely the more they get on each other's nerves about the silly little things that, that trigger them. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, tell me, so after you had Yuli, you breastfed him on demand. When did you get your period back? Not until he was two um, yeah. because he was, yeah, I mean, he breastfed lots through the day and the night. Yeah. And... So yeah, it didn't. He did, uh, even at, even at five, he was he was weaning down loads uh, when he got to five. Um, yeah. But I think if I had had Ostara, he would have wanted to breastfeed for even longer. But it kind of naturally declined because she took over. So yeah, I, I think I think I were my Charlie was two years and two months or something when I got my period back. And then you, when, when did you get period? I mean, a period, when did you get pregnant? How old was he? I actually had one pregnancy um, sometime in between two and three years. Um, but that one, 
I don't think, yeah, that one didn't happen. It was real, real early failure. Um, and Astara came along when Yuli was four and a half. Okay. That's interesting. So what she, you fell pregnant when he was four and a half or she was born? She, um, she was born when Yuli was four and a half. So, um, sorry, I'm really bad at maths on, on top of that. No, that's all right. No, that's good. So she was, I, I'm just interested to chat to you about, so when I fell pregnant, I fell pregnant, uh, when Charlie was about two and a half. So three months after I got my period back. And I had this naive idea that he would self-wean during pregnancy. That did not happen. (laughs) And it was really hard for me because I I don't know about you, but I was getting quite irritated in the pregnancy. And I could see that he still needed it, but my body was saying, you need your own space. And so there was this kind of clash between us. So how did you deal with that? Yeah, the breastfeeding aversion. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I had to kind of <laughs> see. I didn't want to say no completely, but equally I couldn't carry on at that intensity. Um, so it was mostly, especially at night time for me. Um, so we actually, he still has it now, but we moved him onto what was called his nighttime bar. So you'd have like a raw food bar um, okay. at night time, having breastfeeding. Okay. Sleep <laughs> through the night better then. Um, and so that's how I did it. I just, yeah, swapped it for something else um, because, yeah, emotionally he wasn't ready. But, yeah, physically I was all touched out with, with that much breastfeeding from everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's still it's still out for me. The jury's out. Like, I don't know what – I know there's no right or wrong, but I really did struggle through pregnancy, and I've read this a lot with women with breastfeeding aversions. And so what I did is I just put um, strong boundaries in that I said you could feed, but for three seconds or something, you know. And so we had like a a limit on it because I needed to do that for myself. Yeah. Because I was becoming a per- I was becoming a person who I didn't like um, towards him, um, and so I'm resentful towards him. That's it. And it's um, and your body language says it all, doesn't it? You don't have to say it for your words. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. As long as you're honest with them and, uh, you know, tell them how it is. Because, yeah, I just, and even with Ostara and when Kai came along, I was like, you know, you can, you can still, and that's fine, but I need, um, I need it to not be long periods and I need it not to be close together. So I'll I'll let you know when it's okay and you ask and, you know, and so, um, yeah, we just had open dialogues about it, I guess, and. It's, it's, it's hard for them to understand, but it's uh, it's just part of life, isn't it? We've all got to give a little and take a little sometimes. And it does start when we're young. Yeah, okay. And so when did he wean? Um, well, he was still oh, somewhere between five and six. He just completely stopped, but it was really slow. Um, and then you just go a few weeks and you realise he's not asking for it anymore. Um so that was the, the total winning, but definitely when, when Ostara came along at four and a half, he'd already, because of my aversion, we'd already started to do the process. It had just gone through a gradual stage process rather than it wasn't just one day we both decided to stop. It was gradually phasing it out. Um, and so, 
yeah, when when the the papers came and took all the pictures of him breastfeeding, he really wasn't breastfeeding that much, but they made it to look look out like that. Um, of course, they did. It's just connection, isn't it, for them? I think at that stage. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, from what I can see, boys tend to hold on a little bit longer than girls, anyway. Okay, have you had that experience? Yeah. Definitely. Um, Ostara turned four and, and she was like, no, I'm big girl now. I'm ready. I'm taking this world on. And, um, and she's she's in her own bed now, you know, before Yuli yeah. wants to be in his own bed. At one stage, he was sleeping a bit in his own bed, but then we moved house and that was quite traumatic for him. So then he regressed back and we haven't quite got back to where we were. Um, so, yeah, it's a, the girl independence thing. Definitely for me, I've seen it, seen oh. it come from. Um, Interesting. I've only got um, a 16 month old girl. So I've got two. So it'd be interesting to see how that is with her. I don't know. Um, right now I feel like it's similar, but maybe she's feeding slightly less than him, but I don't know, not much less <laughs> right now, but she's only 16 months. So we'll see. <laughs> um, okay. And so you then had, how do you say your daughter's name again? Sorry. Ostara. Yeah. It, does this mean, what does it mean? It's um, the pagan goddess of spring. In Germany, oh. they still celebrate the festival of Ostara. Um, so I think the original name of her was Estra, which is where the word estrogen and Easter comes from. And oh. the goddess was late for spring. And so the baby bird was dying and she turned it into a bunny rabbit. And so it's quite ironic, ironic because Ostara was 13 days past her due date. Um, and so last year her birthday was on Easter day, uh, but this year it was after, oh. um, so she was, a time, but most children with the name Ostara are born more like late March, um, whereas she's a, a bit later into April. Oh, nice. It's a, a pagan. Thing. Cool. Um, so Ostara, tell me about her birth. How did that go? Did you have free, really easy in comparison? Did you have free pregnancies as well? Free pregnancy though? Like you yeah, did yeah, I didn't have any well with Yuli I think I had a few blood tests before I went off travelling, um, but I didn't didn't have much of anything else. I was like, now I'm going off travelling, I'll sign up with someone when I get back and just didn't. <laughs> um so yeah, her birth was was four hours long. Really yeah, super easy. I had the big birth pool, the idyllic birth pool at that point, which our friends had given to us. I was like, Thank God, I got space. Because <laughs> a bath a narrow bath is challenging, let me tell you. Um, so I had the birth pool and, um, yeah, I had Yuli there and the dog was running up around the pool and it was, yeah, I, and Matt was there again. Um, and it was, it was, it was still sensational, you know, it was, I haven't had an easy, like orgasmic, beautifully <laughs> pleasant birth yet. Um, but I think the duration being shorter makes a huge difference for me anyway. Um, it just, it makes it less of a marathon. Um, so yeah, she was just, it actually reflects her personality. She's more easygoing in nature and her birth was more easygoing. Because then I presumed that my third birth of Kai would be even easier. But it, no, yeah. it wasn't actually. It went back to being longer and, and a bit more challenging. So um, I think I think personally a lot of their birth is to do with, with their their nature. Of course. Experience anyway. Yeah, well, they're just as part of it as much as we are, aren't they? Really, yeah. <laughs> okay, and so 
Then you had her. How did having a second child change you? Oh wow, it's it's quite changed me personally. Mm. Um, it it was it was hard for me because I'd been really focused on Yuli, and he'd been really attached to me, and so he then had to gravitate towards Dad a lot more. Um, and it it was just really hard because. I didn't realize that a baby could be, <laughs> um, how can I put this? Ostara is just a lot more chilled out and, and laid back and, and she slept well and a lot more easygoing. And, and so for me, up to that point, the difficulty that Yuli ex- experienced as a baby was the norm. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, it, it doesn't have to be this hard. This is how... A, you know, easier baby can be. And then I was very conscious that I didn't want to end up resenting him for not being the easy baby. Um, so I had to work emotionally on, on my stuff there to not not um, not judge him for not being this easy baby that I'd wanted and, and craved and um, and not favoring one over the other and everything. So yeah, it's, it's quite an, an emotional journey to go through all of that. And because uh, he's an empath, he picks up on everything as well. Um, so yeah, I guess yeah, it's quite a roller coaster, but um, it, it definitely does change the whole dynamic in the family massively. The second one, more than anyone coming in. Yeah, and then what? Yeah, tell me about your third birth. How was that? <laughs> that was that was long birth again, but um, somewhere in between the first two births, I'd say, longer than the second one, um, but a bit more easygoing than the first. Um, and Ostara was there. Again, we were in another one-bed flat, so a small space. And um, Yuli was actually really present in the, the the third birth. He was really excited and, and really interested in what was going on. But Ostara was traumatized. She ran off into the bedroom and kept screaming for me. And I, she, she's very kind of sensitive to people's emotions as well. But because she didn't have that three and a half, she was that level of understanding of what was going on. It was just quite intense for her. Um, so in an ideal world, you know, I would have had another relative there that could have taken her off and out of that situation. But luckily we had some amazing neighbors that straight after the birth took, took her and, and, um, um, they've got a kid that she gets on with and, and just took her out of the situation so she could, you know, let off some steam because it was quite, she didn't witness it. She didn't look at it, but she could hear it going on. And so I think for her, she needed to then release all those emotions. Yeah, it's soup. I think it depends on the child as to whether you want them present at, mm. at a birth or not. <laughs> um, so Yuli was was really supportive during both of the girls' births being there. And he was, um, yeah, he didn't distract from, from my emotional state. But having a star screaming in the background was definitely intense. And I think at one point someone in the building set off the fire alarm, which is great as well. You know, it's just what you are. <laughs> The fire alarm sounding to your uh, to your screams. <laughs> um, so yeah, as I said, not idyllic, peaceful birth, but it was. Um, it definitely builds you up into a strength of character. You know, if I can take on this, I can take on the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one about children at birth. You know, my son was at my daughter's birth, and it wasn't great for him. It's it was fine because my mum was able to come and she took him. But, you know, I hear a lot of, oh, 
children should be at birth and I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I think like you said, it's very dependent on the child. For him, it wasn't so much about the birth that was scaring him. I think it was about the fact about coming a bro becoming a brother and that was a little bit challenging for him. Um, even when we first told him we were pregnant, he burst into tears. He's like, no, he just didn't want anyone else. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think. Yeah, no, Yuli was, um, Yuli was, I think, even now you talk to him and I think he would have been quite happy to be the only child um, because he's quite, he's one-on-one -on -one child, you know, he wants every bit of you. Um, and even though, like, he loves his sisters to bits and I think it's really healthy for a child of his nature to have siblings around because they, they often children like that often can be quite egocentric and um and do need their perspective challenged a little um but for him definitely yeah, i'd say he liked, loved the idea of baby coming along but then when it happens like oh hang on a minute now i've got to share my parents time and attention and this is this is quite tough for me to take um, yeah. whereas i think both the third one the middle one doesn't really care too much because they've experienced being the second one to the first child and then they're just like yeah i'm just easy going you know <laughs> it's yeah. fine um yeah. but yeah it does it depends on on the child and their nature definitely. yeah I, I i totally agree and so now we come to schooling or unschooling or whatever you want to call it um how did that decision go was that just always a given or did you ever consider the idea of school Oh, do you know what? I think having Yuli as a first child sealed the deal for me um, because he was so shy and introverted and so sensitive. And I was I was a highly sensitive too at school, um, but I did, did fine academically. Uh, but I was also a selective mute. I didn't talk to the, the teachers and only would talk to a few select friends. And so I think I drew, drew on my own experience of school being quite traumatic and not helpful for me. Um, so once I saw that he was not only a similar nature, but more intense than me, like more sensitive, I just thought there's no way I'm putting him into that system where I got bullied, where I struggled and where I just spent the years staring out the window, wishing I could have been, well, homeschooled, funny enough, um, you know, in a different environment. And so for me, it just, it culminated from my own experience. And I'm always open to changing my mind um, but he's to this day never once asked to go to school and you talk about school with him and he goes oh, well, I'm just never going to go there I go, that's not for me um, whereas Ostara I think um, she's a bit more outgoing and lively and I think you know at times she's shown a little bit of interest in it and she's maybe when I'm older mummy I might want to try it of course now that depends on um, the advent of mandatory vaccinations because I wouldn't be willing to um to do that to them for entrance into school but I'm, I've always been open for them to trying it because I don't I don't believe I'm here to dictate their life experience for them I'm here to facilitate it but um yeah I think it, it's children should have a choice it's autonomy isn't it they need they need to um be encouraged to tune into their own instincts and, and body cues and and um, guide themselves because we're not, as parents, we're not always going to be there to hold their hand and tell them what to do. And I don't want them transitioning from us doing that to institutions doing that for them and overriding that voice that we were speaking of earlier. I think it's really important skill to cultivate to be able to, to listen to your 
your inner voice and mm -hmm. so if that involves school so be it but um not not at the cost of of injecting poison absolutely not but um yeah, yeah for me yeah if it to go down a different road to the one I choose but at the moment um it's suited uni really well Anastara is quite happy still at home and and just seeing friends and so we're just rolling with it really it's um why it works for us it works for us and uh we're in a good place actually in England Brighton's quite a good home ed community so great um, yeah it's working well and how do you go about their schooling? Is it very eclectic? You kind of just follow their lead or like, is there any kind of structure or do you attend groups or how does it work? Oh, wow. It flips from all of those, to be honest. Um, I mean, our whole lifestyle, we have no solid routine and we have like rhythms and rituals, you know, to keep familiarity. But we, um, we've done groups. Uh, we've stopped doing groups. We've uh, we've got a, a core group of friends that they see which actually came about from a few of the groups and we also have friends that are in schools that we see outside of school time um, um for yuli his nature he does not do well in groups um he likes one-on-one -on -one, so if he has even if he has friends around he'll want one at a time uh, he just finds it too intense and gets overwhelmed and ostara can be a bit like that at times too um but she will happily go out into to groups and, and, and be a bit more comfortable with it. So um, we have we have our allotment and also up at our allotment site, there's a community food project, a bigger allotment site, and that attracts some home ed people and um, adult volunteers. So we go up there to um, kind of learn a bit and be outside in nature. And it's all, all about um, just connecting back with nature whilst learning the life skills that, that we're all missing, growing our own food yeah and the rest of it yeah i mean i took yuli to the science festival a few months back um, to take part in a kitchen covered chemistry session that they had on a free one for the event um down at the seafront and he was you could tell he felt really overwhelmed by being it was almost like a classroom environment everyone sitting around and then the the professors getting up and, and instructing them and and i was there with him but i could still see he was really overwhelmed by it all so I do think it's important to put him in this situation that does um, evoke feelings of uncomfortableness for him. Um, but what I'm not going to do is put him in that situation so much that it overwhelms his his stress levels and his adrenaline and, and compromises his health. I think little bits and drips and drabs of these situations are really good for him. Um, so we do delve into and out of them. Um, but it's, at any point, it's, it's his call to make. If he wants to step back from it, he can step back. And if he wants to go into it more, we'll, we'll help facilitate that too. Um, so, yeah, he's still not reading and writing, but he's, he's making progress with it. And a lot of people think that's a, a negative sign of how home education doesn't work. Um, I'm, I'm under the opinion that it's a life skill you will be able to self-teach yourself as soon as you have the right motivation for it. So already he's very into computers and he's got the motivation to know the language for some of his games. So he is picking it up. Um, I think anything, if you teach it before the person is ready to receive it, before they have a purpose for it, it you're just pouring it into a sieve and it's just going to come out the other end and be a waste of time. Um, so I'm not concerned about him being late if you like to, to to read and write a lot of people would mm -hmm. be and i think you've just got to address where's that coming from inside you is that coming from society's projections of 
of what child's, a child's milestone should be and, and is that um, you know, relevant to your child? Is it affecting them? How is it affecting them? Do they feel they want it? Um, do you and they feel that they need it and they're missing out on something because they don't have it? Is there a fun way you can gain it rather than this formal instruction drilling all the time? Uh, there's so many questions to ask, isn't there? Um, so but many. I, yeah, I see with Ostara already, she, she's been in a lot more into arts and crafts than Yuli ever was and and is already into to writing the letters and wanting to know the words. And, and so she might be considered young at it, but either way, it's, it's all in their own time. And I just, I don't get caught up in the, the shouldn't and shouldn'ts. I, I know it's really hard not to sometimes though, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, because you've got lots of noise coming from outside at you. And um, luckily our local education authority, they're pretty relaxed with us. We give them a, a yearly report through an email. Mm -hmm. um, I don't don't allow them to do visits, but that's optional for us anyway, as I, I don't ever want my children to feel like they're being sat there and put on the spot and tested. And Yuli would just go into a shell and not come out anyway. You have to earn his trust slowly. So that wouldn't work. It wouldn't showcase his best talents if, if someone came around that didn't know him because he would just not talk to them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just do a yeah, yearly report and, and it just discusses our philosophy what we've been doing in that past six months, kind of the general gist, because we don't have a strict routine, we just have a flow. Um, and they, their most, con their biggest concern is always socialization. Are they getting access to other children? Um, uh, are they getting, you know, their, their physical exercise? And um, lately they've been asking me for examples of his work, but I think we're, we're gonna have to address that again, because um, we, don't, we don't do school projects, you know, so it's a hard one to, to go. I'm, I'm gonna think if I can, go about giving them a, a different example, maybe take a video of him talking about things he's interested in. He's very interested in wildlife and sea creatures and he can give you a guided tour, tour of sea life and things like that. So I'm thinking might, I might start doing video logs of him talking like that as if he was talking to me um, and that, that might satisfy their, their need to know that he's learning even that children are always learning, but they, they have to know that, you know, they're making progress. Ticking the boxes. Yeah, box ticking, that's it. <laughs> Did you ever consider not registering him for homeschooling? I did, absolutely. And then I um, had the spotlight shone on me and people kind of decided that they would register me for me, if you see what I mean. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I kind of got tangled into the system. But it, it's fine. It's, it's good for me to learn how co to cooperate with authority in a respectful manner and and it's, it's not about you know sticking fingers up to them completely i know a lot of them are out there because they genuinely care and they're looking after the welfare um it's, it's a fine line to tread so so for me i i give away as much information as i feel is appropriate but i don't overreach on that information and um they seem to be happy so far so so far so good Oh, great. Um, talk to me about how you and your husband juggle parenting. Is it a 50-50 thing? Is it, you know, um, I mean, sometimes my frustration is that I feel like I do it all. <laughs> it's not true. My husband works from home, but. No, we, um, we're, we're very 50-50. Um, we've taken the financial hit because of it, though. We've had to make loads of sacrifices, which is why we had to go through of emergency accommodation to get to a house with an affordable rent um, um yeah matt does most of the, the go out to work work he's he freelance so it's very sporadic 
Um, and then I, I do media stuff, but then he'll take over looking after the kids during times like this. Uh, so they're not screaming over the, the, uh, <laughs> the audio at us. <laughs> um, but he's very full on dad. Um, you know, when he's at home, he's not doing anything else but being with the kids or up at the allotment with them, growing food, cooking food. Um, he's very very supportive and I, I can i should imagine being a single parent this would be a very tough gig to take on although i do know of single parents that do it and they find ways around it um and one in particular i know up in the north of the country she uses a democratic school three days a week and that gets funded as childcare. i'm not quite sure how she's managed this because not many you can but this particular one is elstead registered so got away with getting 85% of it funded as childcare while she does her part-time work and then she home eds her kid the rest of the week and I think that's a lovely arrangement and so mm. there is always a way um, it just might not the path might not look easy um, but for me yeah absolutely I think if you can get a partner on board to really um, share the workload that makes a massive difference yeah absolutely are you allowed to part-time school in the UK uh, flexi schooling, I think it's called. Um, do you know what? I haven't heard of any schools that do it personally, but I know that there is an option to flexi school somewhere, some parts of the country. So it must be happening. Um, I absolutely think it should be an option because a lot of children have the nature that they cannot, they cannot handle that intense five-day week. Um, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure to the answer to your question there because I have heard of it, but I haven't, as I say, personally come across anyone that's doing it. And I know yeah. a lot of people on our home group on online do ask about it and no one seems to know of schools that will offer it. Uh, I think it's up to the individual schools interpretation of the laws and everything. So um, yeah. no, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. No, I was just interested to know. And, um, Talk to me about how you decided not to vaccinate. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> big as I question. Said, is, it's always a big question, isn't it, that one? <laughs> um, it, oh, God, hours and hours of research, that one. Um, also, going off of that inner voice of just knowing, like, I didn't want the birth interventions, then why would I want the immune system messed with? And and kind of like, I'm I'm not a God person, but... I kind of believe in mother nature's design that we were born of everything we need. And I don't think we were born with um, a default immune system that needs man coming in and interfering with it. Um, there's, there's so many reasons not to vaccinate that um, I can't even begin on, <laughs> on this talk to, um, to go into the ins and outs of it. Um, but I, I believe that I have vaccine damage from the, the limited vaccines that I've had growing up. And I think a lot of it manifests as autoimmune conditions with people, the chronic fatigue with my husband, he gets arthritis quite badly, um, which he has to manage with cold water therapy, training in the sea, swimming in the sea. Um, and I think we're, we're trading, you know, benign acute childhood illness for this lifetime of chronic debilitating illness which is just absolutely ruining our quality of life. So for me, that is not a good trade-off. And I would rather take, take my chances with the, with the childhood infections. And I actually also think that they're there 
to to help um, build your immune system in the first place. Uh, kind of like you know your, your body going for a gym workout, your, your immune system needing some training. Um, and so I think if we always try and guard ourselves from these viruses and these bugs that are out there in the world, we're, we're doing our immune system a disservice when we're not. It's, it's kind of like the, the people that over sanitize everything. Um, I used to live on a street where there was a family who were clean freaks, you know, every kind of chemical under the sun was used to keep everything clean. And you know, their kids were the sickest kids on the street. And so it's no coincidence if you don't expose people naturally to pathogens and bacteria, they cannot build a strong immune system. Uh, so for me, it's just a no brainer. When I did all my research, it just added up with my instinctual gut feeling of this isn't, this isn't the right way to create a healthy human being. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> Cool. Well, Adele, I think we'll wrap it up there because we're hitting up to the hour mark. But uh, thank you so much. Uh, how can people connect with you if they would like to chat further or learn more about what you do? Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook, The Unconventional Parent, and Instagram. And I've actually got on Facebook a private members group that you can subscribe to if you want advice. Um, I've actually got your other interviewee, Laura Chainley's on there as well. Um, so I've got a few people that are expert in their fields to, to come and pipe on and, and give some advice if you want some more bespoke advice. Um, and yeah, you'll see me pop into and out of the media on documentaries like the Stacey Dooley one from time to time. Um, but yeah, mostly on online social media. And um, I'm also on Telegram now, should anything go wrong with the rest of the media platforms called the heavy censorship now. Um, so yeah, you can connect with me, the unconventional parent on Telegram too. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It was beautiful talking to you. Beautiful to have an insight of how you live your life. And thank you for sharing it with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Renegade Mama. That is all for today. But if you would like to connect, I am on Facebook. I am The Renegade Mama or on Instagram, The underscore Renegade underscore Mama. The Renegade Mama is all about following your intuition, not the institution. We are sovereign. We are free. The Renegade Mama is released weekly on Spotify, Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.